What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Friends. Welcome to Rev Covery, which was a harebrained idea that you and I had in the middle of having an important business meeting with other yes. humans. Yes. You and I were like, wait a minute, sidebar. Yes. <laughs> we should let's, talk about <laughs> we should talk about this. Let's have another meeting yeah. to, about Mitt's, this thing. Mitt's meeting about how a lot of us who have exited ministry for whatever reason we've exited really need to figure out how to exist in the world separated from ministry and in some ways separated from church, separated from expectations, separated from all this stuff for whatever that looks like, for whatever amount of time that looks like. And the reality is leaving ministry is so different than leaving any other job. Yes. I think there are similarities, I think, to leaving like other things for sure. But I think there is a uniqueness or a yeah, a uniqueness to leaving something that you would have once called a vocation, but beyond that, a calling. Mm-hmm. Something that took up your entire life. There's no time off. There's no existence outside of it. And I, I have talked with friends of mine that are veterans and friends right. of mine that have had those more high intensity jobs, friends of mine that were doctors. Not that being a pastor is the same as being a veteran or being a doctor. No, but, I but yeah. save your life. I might save your soul. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. That's terrible. <laughs> I can I can make you think that I've saved your soul for sure. <laughs> Dear Lord Jesus. But but those the similarities in the sense that when you're out, all of a sudden, how does even existence work? Right. How do you how do you move through the world? How do I become a civilian? Yeah, in a lot of ways. And I remember when I got my first nine to five job, I was thinking, how do people go to the dentist? How do people run errands? Like, like, how does this work? Because I'm stuck here for so long. When I was a pastor, you know, yeah, you're working weird hours, but also at 11 o'clock, if you're like, I need to run to the grocery store, you can just do that because you're kind of a small business owner in some, in some ways. Oh, I've never thought about that. Yeah, that's true. It has been a weird, like, but you also, when you're doing those things, you're not like justifying it to yourself, nor thinking, well, this means I need to work till 11 p.m. No, you will work till 11 p.m. <laughs> but it's, it, there's, there, at least for me, there was a lot of freedom in the way my, I could structure my own schedule. If I knew I was going to be doing ministry stuff till 11 o'clock, I didn't feel so bad, you know, if I didn't come into work or something like, there's a lot of ways that you can structure your day. And when you're in the, yeah, the nine to five world, it's like, oh no, it's like they own my time. 
They own your time. Um, by the way, we should probably introduce ourselves because yes, we've we just should. hopped into like we did. the where we are, how we are, what we, we haven't even really shared why the hell this podcast, other than to say we don't know what to do with our time. I'm just kidding. So I'll start by saying my name is Sarah Heath. Rev Sarah Heath is often what I'm referred to. Uh, <laughs> my call, my name, I don't know. I served in full-time ministry and continue to serve in some ways in full-time ministry for the last 16 years. I graduated from seminary in 2005 and took my first appointment in a church. And my last position was as a lead pastor of a restart revitalization situation. And so I come out of the United Methodist tradition and now serve as a coach consultant. And uh, yeah, I think that's all I need to say about myself. So Tell us who the hell you are. Yes, uh, I the hell am Justin <laughs> Gentry. I was a pastor in a couple different evangelical churches for a little over a decade, probably about 12 years or so. I took a break in there to do seminary and a few other things. But yeah, I was in full-time ministry. I was a youth pastor in my last appointment, which was very curious because I started as a youth pastor. And I think most people have to start there. Then. I was like, well, I, I'm too good to be a youth pastor. And then I ended as a youth oh. pastor, mostly because I think I was a much better youth pastor at, in my 30s than I ever was in my 20s because I stopped caring. What yeah. they, I, I didn't want to be cool and that somehow made me cool, but I, we can discuss that more later. But I was an associate pastor. I worked in you know very, very large churches, very small churches, church plants. So I have an experience that runs the gamut in a lot of ways. And I have walked away from that now. I currently, my day job is in educational publishing, uh, which is an industry that you can feel good at about, good at, good about, um, because you're educating children, which is nice. Um, <laughs> my night job is podcaster, speaker, yeah. writer, and man on the internet, I guess. I am a man on the internet. I love that. I am a man on the internet. I am a That's, man about town. Yes. And I think it's really important for us to say that one of the reasons we wanted to work on this project together is that I left of my own volition in some ways, in all ways, actually, there was no scandal. There was no, um, Hey, could you leave? It was absolute understanding that I was burnt out and not only burnt out. I think I just felt like there was something beyond that. I could be more helpful if I wasn't tied to a particular local church and that it would be more helpful for my community if I wasn't at the helm because I didn't have the same love and passion that I had for it when I went in. And I think when you are a church starter, church planter, particularly for me, I was working with uh, predominantly deconstructed humans, as well as those who had left their primary places of worship due to LGBTQIA lack of inclusion. And so I was dealing with a lot of people that had gone through a lot. And so what I realized about my personality is I was a sponge. I was taking it on. And I wanted them to experience new energy and people, someone who could sort of walk with them in a different way than I was capable of doing. So that's how I exited. What about you? Uh, I was kicked out um, <laughs> mostly because my, I was in an evangelical context and the church I was at for conservative evangelical churches was very permissive in a lot of ways. Uh, very liberal in a lot of ways, but also liberal in the sense that you could vote Democrat and <gasps> they accepted you uh, as a human being. <laughs> They'll think they looked down on you like you were, were 
were a Republican in waiting. They loved the center. They hated yeah. the stand. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but but it was it was a setting that I thought I could make it work in. It, it, I don't think I was foolish in the sense that I thought that I could be someone who's LGBTQ affirming and quiet about it, uh, which there are arguments both ways as to whether that is good or bad. Um, right. But I could be quiet about it, uh, but I could also help a lot of students. There were several students that came to me suicidal over their, you know, their confusion about their orientation and being a person that was not instantly going to give them one answer. I am very confident saved a few lives. So I feel very good about that. But the church saw that differently. And I, at the time, I think I was planning an exit similar to what you were considering, Sarah, because I was feeling burnout. I was definitely, I was reading the writing on the wall in the sense that evangelicals were not getting more liberal. They were getting Which more- Which cons- is a Christian reference, by the way, reading the writing yeah. on the wall. We can talk about that later. How oh, crazy yes. is that? Yes. So I, you know, I was beginning to see that this was like 2016, 2017, that we're only going to get more conservative here. We're not going to get more permissive. And I need to think about exiting. And they decided to just do that for me. It's not you. It's me. It's not us. It's you yeah. is what happened. <laughs> yeah, You were going in with the like, you were about to do the breakup and they totally switched it on you. Yeah. I was going to break up with them and then said, no, we're breaking up with you. They're like, no, before you start, <laughs> here's what we think. No. No. Here's, yeah. I, I think it's important too to talk about like why we decided that this project was so important. Partly what we said in kind of our weird weird ass intro, but as I have been exiting and just more and more folks have shared with me their own struggles within full-time ministry and shared with me kind of where they're at and shared with me. Some folks after I left have been like, please, please tell me what it's like. Please tell me how you do, you're doing. Please tell me all these things. It made me realize that there is a giant movement outside of the pulpit, outside of the church, which is heartbreaking in some ways, because we invested a lot of our time in it. But again, as I began to So I'm getting what's called ICF, which is International Coaching Federation Accreditation. Federation Accreditation. I don't know. It sounded like uh, some sort of 90s rap. Uh, But (laughs) I I discovered some statistics that were from before the pandemic, friends. Before The before times, someone did, and I should look it up. I think it's Barna. But somebody did a like uh, survey and found out that close to and if not more than a thousand pastors are leaving full-time ministry every month. That's a lot. That's a lot. And those are just folks who are reporting it. So that's a lot more is going on because I don't think you and I reported that anywhere. I'm not sure where they got the numbers, but that's within the United States. And I will say within my own denomination, the thing that kind of got really scary for me is I am someone who's over 40 and I was considered young clergy. I'd go into rooms often and I would be the youngest person in the room. And that's disturbing. That means there's not people following in the footsteps. Disturbing, maybe, or maybe there's a shift that's happening. Maybe uh, St. Philistical was right that we're in the midst of a 500 year transition. But as I think about it, I think we were never, neither you nor I were prepared. And I don't think most of those folks were prepared then to enter into what's known as this like civilian life to enter into figuring out things that we have always, you know, you feel like you're almost bad at adulting, but you realize you've been running 
million dollar corporations for years. You've got skills that people don't even know. So part of what this show hopes to do is to teach you kind of how to exist in the job world. We're talking from the very basic of how do I send out a resume? What does it look like to be involved in conversations you know, that are networking? What does it look like? Like little things, and some of them are going to be helpful for our, our listeners and some of them aren't. So some episodes will be incredibly helpful. We're also going to talk to a bunch of humans who have done this, who have left ministry for different reasons. We're also going to talk to people who have re-entered ministry to talk about how they decided to do that. But our hope in all of this is to kind of normalize this experience of going, I can continue to exist outside of the thing that I thought gave me meaning. Yeah. And I think to um, like learning how to exit well. And yes. I, I think what I stayed in as long as I did in some ways, because I knew I, I don't have anything to offer anyone else. Mm. Like I don't have quote unquote professional skills or marketable skills. So how, where would I go? And that was my biggest fear. And that's why I stayed in as long as I did. And it caused me a lot of pain because I do think that you either are hundred percent on the program or you are like Sarah and myself, and you are not quite in the program and either you get burned out or kicked out. Like those are, those are really right. your options, I think. Right. And I don't want that for anyone. I would much rather, and I think anyone would rather leave on their own terms and leave healthy because starting a corporate job when you're very unhealthy, which is what I was, was not good. Oof. It was very scary. I, I don't even remember, I think, the first six months simply because I was in a daze. And I am very grateful for the people that gave me a chance. But yeah, it was, it was so hard because I am coming off of over a decade of ministry and having to completely change my life and right. reorient everything. And we're talking from like friendship, mm -hmm. like even learning how to set boundaries, learning how to create space for yourself to heal. But how do you do that when you're needing to make a paycheck? Um, how do you, one of the conversations that I'm excited about you and I having is like, how do you let a job just be a job um, that you believe in and you're excited about? And you can put it away because it isn't everything that defines who you are. How do you redefine yourself around people who have only known you as one thing? So I, I had an experience, you know, you know, the now what experience. I remember I was at a party and this is right when I knew, when I knew, and we'll talk, we, we've decided we're each going to do an episode called, how did we know? But I, I had this like moment where I knew something was wrong with how I felt and could deal with people. Cause I've always loved people. And I was at a party and somebody made an offhanded comment about a pastor who was on sabbatical. And this person was a lawyer. And I was, by the way, I was in a very big house in California. This boy's person's a lawyer. And they said, gosh, it must be nice to have a sabbatical. I don't, you think everybody wishes they could have a paid sabbatical? Cause we all work hard. And I put my hands down to my side and little tiny five foot four, Sarah, just the inner rage that filled me. And I said, here's the difference between your job and our job. Nobody assumes in this group of friends that are all hanging out here. Nobody has an opinion about how you do your job. Everyone here assumes that you're good at your job. All of us do. We might make a lawyer joke here and there, but in general, 
all of us just because we love you, because we find you to be an, like a great person, assume that how you do your job is great. The difference is this person that you're talking about every week does a presentation where everybody in the room gets to decide how they feel about it, how they feel about you, and then how they feel about the entity or the institution in itself and whether or not next week they've been compelled enough to come. Here's the other thing. Every weekend you have a weekend. That is not something that any of us have ever had that worked in this work. So when you make these statements that say, wouldn't I love a sabbatical? You have to understand that you have no idea. And I get that you don't understand that we got in as much debt as you did. For me in particular, I went to a school that cost as much as going to law school to get our degree in this, to hopefully be intellectually honest, to try our best. But how you feel about the law doesn't matter. You just get to go in. Whereas I have to like figure out how do I negotiate these shifts that are happening in me? So I think there's this overarching thing of like, all right, I know that that's not the response I want to have. I don't want to yell at my lawyer friend when everyone is just having a nice time at a party. And I didn't yell at him, but I felt like I yelled because if you know me, you know, like even like I'm Canadian and British, we don't raise our voices, saying harsh words feel bad to us. I just felt I was being so rude to him. And then I left and I drove home thinking, I don't have any friends that don't judge what I do Mm -hmm. or how I do it. And the performance part of me was like, Ooh, and a lot of them think I'm good at it. That feels good. That is not, you know, hanging your identity on what you do week to week is exhausting. Yeah. And everyone somehow knows what you do. Like I, right. I, you know, I, I would, I coached at a gym as a, like something to do. That's not ministry, like <laughs> anything. So I basically traded like I'll coach cause I had certifications and just, you know, I'll, I'll get a free membership and I'll just like, I'll have a thing that's not ministry, but over time, you know, eventually one person finds out you're a pastor and then all of a sudden everyone does. And there's this weird expectation and people stop swearing around you or something, or, you know, when you swear, people are like, Whoa, the pastor. Just they either think shit. it's really cool. And then you feel like you're being like dishonest and weird, like, or they're like, well, you know, I wore a t-shirt working out one time. I have like this tank top that says, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. And this woman was like, I thought you were a pastor. Yeah. And she was like, dis like disturbed by my t-shirt. Yeah. It seems like everyone is evaluating you and everyone is an authority on what you do. Right. Like that was, that was the maddening thing when I was eventually fired. <laughs> we, well, there was an, there was a board meeting where they interrogated me all about Ooh. LGBTQ issues. And I'm not going to say I was the smartest person in the room, but I was the most educated on the topic. <laughs> by a landslide like people were trotting out stuff that i'm like that statistic is from the 80s you read that in an old james dobson book one time Oof. and that decided it for you so by a landslide i was the most informed on the topic i was the most scripturally knowledgeable i was throwing out things you know even theologically that they did not have the ability to process but they have the authority to fire me based on their understanding of the text, not my understanding of the text. And that is, I think that is a position of so many pastors right now, especially now that we have misinformation glut, your congregation is being discipled by Facebook, not you. 
And they will fire Ooh. you based on what Facebook says, not based on what the Bible says or Jesus or anything. So I understand the, the infuriating position that you're in all the time where, yeah, everyone evaluates you and everyone is an authority on what you do. You know, and if you say something that's quote unquote, not theologically correct, it, it probably is because you're smart and you're educated. But this person read a meme one time that yeah. is so much more brilliant than your sermon that you worked hard for. And, and that, that, and that becomes life and that's normal. And that's part of the job. It's part of it. But then like, once you get out of it, I do feel like you realize how hard that is and you're, you don't know how to relate to people. I think you're tapping into a lot of why this project and us working on it together means so much to me. I think it's this idea that there's so much that happens into our central nervous system, into our bodies, into our minds that we're not even aware of, you know, for me to like throw my arms to the side and make fists and like, look at my friend who I love. And I need to tell you that this person has been so good to me. This, this lawyer friend of mine has been so good to me, but the reaction was the reaction of 16 years of being evaluated from whether I'm on an airplane to whether I am you know, sitting in front of family members to whether I, and sometimes I think people still think that the reality of what was true in the 1970s, which was not even the 1970s, we're going to go 1940s, 1930s, you know, mm -hmm. where you being a pastor, well, I wasn't able to be one, but like I was in my denomination, but not in a lot. You being a pastor held a certain weight of authority and appreciation. And then now fast forward to a time when it's almost the opposite and so many people automatically tune out anything you're going to say, you know, so maybe your liberal friends decide you're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs because of the job that you do. You know, like some of my friends in Canada, like treat me like I am uh, someone who believes that I'm an elf for Santa Claus <laughs> um, or mm -hmm. my, you know, other people think just because I'm female and a pastor, that's not possible. Or they think I'm on like team crazy anti-vax whatever. And they're like, want to tell me how great they think the fact that I'm saving souls for Jesus is. And I was like, Oh, I don't think we're on the same team, but you don't realize like what it does to your body to have the constant judgment. And I think a lot, I, I want to admit a lot of people experience this in, in containers. So I will say there are so many vocations that people decide are good or bad. And you saying you're whatever it might be, but there is something unique about saying that you have professed yourself as a religious expert. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think there are, I, <laughs> I was uh, sharing with you before. I love true crime podcast, which is a little bit creepy. I'm living alone right now in Oregon with my dog in this like really cool enclave. But it is like, I'm just, I'm probably going to be murdered here. And so me listening to these podcasts is probably not great. You're just prepping yourself. Yeah. Like, like okay. Oh, I know what's coming next. <laughs> oh, of course. This is how this goes. But in the midst of that, I heard this uh, podcast where an Irish um, police officer who worked during the Troubles is discussing PTSD and how he recognized that he had PTSD. And he said, I didn't realize that I had experienced what's called social death until a therapist said to him, do you know what social death is? And he said, no. And he said, she said, police officers here in, in this line of work. And I would say police officers 
in the United States are also experiencing this. This is not a political statement about police officers one way or the other, but this police officer who got into it for all the right reasons and was trying so hard, realized that he experienced social death after B because he couldn't talk to his spouse about what he was going through because it was private and, you know, couldn't talk to the guys he played sports with because they didn't really want to hear it. So you're dealing with confidentiality and then you're dealing with like, people don't understand what you do or why you do it or whatever. And it was this weird, like feeling in me that I was like, oh, that's what it is. We've both experienced social death in some ways outside of church stuff. And I think so many of you and so many of us are holding on because we're so afraid of social death because at least the people that are like crazy in the church, at least they understand are crazy. Yeah, but that's absolutely true. And it's weird. Even the conversations I have now that I've been out for several years, like with family members, I think I've talked more about my job as a project manager than I ever did as a pastor. (laughs) You know, when like, other than, you know, when it comes time to pray, everyone looks at me. Right. You know, it's like, cause I'm the professional prayer, I guess. I don't know, but it, it is again, no one wants to talk to you about your job. Cause they're like, I don't want to get a sermon No, and no one can relate to it. And yeah, that, that, that experience of death and it is, that is what it is. The, the person that was a past pastor, Justin is, is dead now. And we had the funeral and now I'm something else. And I think it's become very liberating for me. Like I don't, profess even to be a Christian anymore. I think mostly because honestly, I think because it's nice to not have to explain myself anymore. Mm. Cause even saying you're a Christian, like, well, not that kind of Christian I'm, you know, or like, I don't, I don't really drive with Paul. So I'm like, this is like, I don't have to define anything now. I'm just like, Justin, I'm a person now and I'm easing into that and it feels great. But that was, what, five years of, of therapy and work and trying to like come to grips with this, this death that I experienced. And that was one of them when we had our, one of our first meetings is like, we want to help people go through grief, uh, the reality of grief of whether or not you stay in the job, the way you're going to look at it is different. If you have left the job, there is going to be massive grief and grief that you don't even understand. And it's funny because when you said that, I was thinking my last Sunday felt like a funeral and it felt like for me, it was an honor to get to go to my own funeral and here you don't always get to hear the good things about yourself. Yeah. So yeah. as we talk about like leaving well, what a gift that was like, it was overwhelming. And I wish I had spent more time writing down what I heard, although I think it was recorded. So I should maybe go back, but mm-hmm. I don't know that I'm in a space where I could do that yet, but just. Like you got to grieve who you once were to become who you're going to be. Yeah. You have to let go of who you thought you were going to be to become who you're going to be. There's almost like this halting of expectation that happens. And you have to recognize that so many people for so long have told you who you were. And whether that's a board, <laughs> whether that's, you know, people holding you quote unquote accountable, whatever it might be. And so that's kind of what I hope that we're able to help people do is grieve expectation of self and expectation from others. And that that's, that is such a process uh, Mm -hmm. to have to walk through your, even my weekend, what is a, what does a weekend look like 
Oh, so I had an absolute, you know, so we entitled this episode now what, um, so my first weekend where I wasn't responsible to a church where I wasn't, I, so what I did when I left that we should probably say what we did the very next weekend. Yeah. I drove to Oregon where my 1973 Airstream that needs to be completely redone from every single, basically I will have replaced every single rivet on this thing. Eventually it was supposed to just be like a redecoration. And now it is like a complete refurbishment, which I have no business doing, but I left, I left the town that I had served in for five years. Hashtag hashtag metaphor. Metaphor. Oh, oh, 100 (laughs) I recognize as I am in my, my Airstream's name is Gidget. I recognize that for me, she is me and I am her. The dents, the bruises, the like things that, you know, everyone thinks an Airstream is cool until they have to revitalize it or like refurbish it. Like there's, I think there's like a statistic that within the first year, most people just sell their Airstream because they're like, what the hell am I doing? Um, it's worse than a boat as far as just throwing money at it. But I needed to just work on a project and to be away. I wasn't prepared for the first weekend of me living up here. And because this is not my home, I still live in the town where I pastored. I wasn't expecting for the first weekend to be so filled with guilt and sort of uh, there was a weird FOMO, but also like an exhaustion of like, I would um, have conversations with myself like, so would you rather be in front of people right now trying to preach? And the answer was no. So then why are you having these feelings? Because I felt like something inside of me was shifting and I wasn't sure if I wanted to shift. And it it got very dark. I'll be honest. It was very dark. What about you? Like that first weekend, do you remember it? Yes. Uh, Well, I was living at a parsonage at the time. And uh, geez. (laughs) Yeah. So I could see the church that fired me from my kitchen window. (laughs) And I remember I had coffee in my hand. I was like, well, this is weird. Did <laughs> like, they give you like a 30-day notice? How long they, did you have to move so out? So I I I took much longer than they thought I was, mostly because I I negotiated a pretty generous exit package for myself. Oh, um, you're amazing. I did so, not. There was no exit package. And I they they were kind enough to extend it, but I was like, I need a job, and I obviously can't just like, you know, most places don't just let you squat there until you find a job. So I squatted there until I found a job. So we we actually toured all the greatest breakfast places on Sunday mornings is what we started doing. You know, we weren't living in a great town for breakfast at the time, but we were just like, we're gonna go have breakfast somewhere, not here. And then just have fun. So we would go like the city market. And so we just like tried to make a tradition and something fun out of, you know, this I love that. thing. And, and we still very much do big breakfasts on Sundays. It's just kind of remained. Um, and we've tried. I tried to go to church a few times and since then. And one of two things happens. Either I start doing this like inside baseball type stuff. Mm. where i'm where like i'll listen i'll listen to the person preach and i'm like oh that's a good transition or oh, oh that was clunky do, yeah I, I, <laughs> you know like th- this or like the yeah they would get done with the sermon i'm like that was a saturday night special i i know what those are uh-huh. you know uh-huh. you know 
Oh, you know, or just little stuff like that. Or I would begin like just kind of shutting down emotionally, like just like trauma would come back or something. And so I just, I, I found that I, I just going back to church just wasn't in the cards for me for a long time. And, you know, just even just for those like professional reasons of just like constantly just reeling in my head of like trying, trying to be the pastor, even though I wasn't. And, and it, it's hard to shake that. I think I've mostly shaken that now. So we we very much just tried to make traditions and tried to make oh, as many fun, good memories of not being at church as we possibly could. Because we had kids at the time and and they're, you know, our oldest was not really old enough to understand what was going on. You know, I, I don't even know. I don't even remember how we explained it at the time. We've explained more since then. But it, it's, it was like, you know, daddy, daddy doesn't work at that place anymore. I am four months out and I still, because I am currently working for myself. So I started a, a company and as far as like consulting and coaching and doing that. Uh, but I also knew I needed like a solid amount of time away. Uh, I knew I needed a detox. I knew I wanted to still help churches. I knew I still believed in church communities, but we're four months out and I still Saturday is hard for me. Because I try not to work on side projects, like all, all this stuff that, and now they're not side projects, like they're full-time projects, but like setting a work week, like setting a tradition of actually setting a pattern. And that's something we're going to talk about in an episode actually is like, how do you block out your time when you've had your time blocked out for you or not blocked out for you for so long? But Saturday, like yesterday, I did zero things to move my paycheck forward, to move my but I did like things like I went to my friend's daughter's soccer game. I had dinner with my friend who, or we, and then we did a late lunch, right? So we did this like late lunch and like hung out and there was this thing and, and, and I can't describe it other than like, you got to get ready. You got to get ready for tomorrow. I did not need to get ready for today. There was no reason for that, but I felt this like need to prep myself, right? Which is not, is, and I know that's going to eventually go away, but I felt it. So then I had dinner with my friend who is still a pastor and her and I were talking and I was like, what, what is this? <laughs> How are you doing? How are you feeling? And she admitted to me herself, like, I don't know if I can stay in this job anymore because it's changed so much since the pandemic. It has changed so much over that since I started and I don't know how to do this anymore. And even her and I hung out, we didn't hang out late because she had church stuff, but not church services. Cause she's, we're here in Oregon. We're still dealing with lockdown. And so she doesn't have a regular church schedule, but she said she, the first, like when the pandemic hit, she started like all these different things in the building to like, like safe things to do in the building. And then she's like, what am I doing? Like, no one wants this, but I'm trying to legitimize who I am. And I think however people are coming at ministry, isn't the same as it was in 2019. And it's definitely not the same as it was in 1930, you know, mm -hmm. it has evolved and changed and we have to recover from that. We have to grieve what was, look at what it could be, and then be honest about churches are morphing and changing. And most people are going to have to become bivocational, if not, you know, completely vocationed somewhere else and then doing the work of ministry. And that's going to change things a lot. And that's hard. And we have to figure out how do we help people recover and how do we help people recover themselves, return to who they are. You know, the theology that I believe in and really and truly is like 
we are returning to our belovedness. And one of the things we joked about was, I, you know, I said, in some ways, ministry feels like a little bit like when we talk to people who used to work in ministry, it feels like a prison sentence. Like, how long were you in for? And then the question is like, well, what'd you get into it for? And you said. Yeah, I was like, I was trying to get my family to love me or something, <laughs> you know, or I was, I was trying to make sure I went to heaven. You know, there's like so many like weird reasons that you give. Um, or I was trying to, you know, for me, I think deep down, I was trying to protect people and students from church people, um, which, you know, because I always felt like there are church people, churchy people, they're terrible, but there's something good in this church thing. So mm -hmm. I, I, I felt at the time called to do that. But when you, when you're getting into something already setting yourself in opposition to the people that cut your checks, Oof. that's a difficult career. <laughs> well, and I think I got into it because I just loved being around Kit. Like I was a youth pastor for six and a half years. Like yeah. I'm, I'm that person. Um, and I just realized that even though I was studying and, you know, acting in medicine and all these crazy things, cause I couldn't figure out where I fit at all. The place that I just invested all my energy was hanging out with the kids who didn't feel like they fit anywhere and hanging out with the kids that were so popular, but they also didn't feel like they could be honest. And that work to me felt worth it. That worked to me. And then I just kept getting promoted, which was awesome and like such a blessing. And in some ways it's, you know, I am, you know, why did I get into it? I think I've always thought I needed to work for the love and affirmation of other people. Mm -hmm. That's just always been me. And my hope in helping people recover is like, Hey, what if you are already beloved? What if there's like, Literally what you do doesn't define how much the divine or anybody around you is going to love you more or less. Because the truth is, I know really famous actors who are doing the same thing. They're working for their worth and they will tell you that never works. I know doctors who say, you know, I am always trying, like no amount of money makes me feel better about this. I, I just think there is a human condition that we all need to recover from, <laughs> but there is a particularity around the work that you and I have done and a particular journey that both you and I have done that it seems clear to me that I, this is not an exaggeration. I get a DM on Instagram at least once a day that someone that says, Hey, can we hop on a call? I just, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And you seem to have like exited well, or can we hop on a call? Because I want to know how you knew when it was time. Can we hop on a call? I'm a woman in ministry who's dealing with this bullshit and I don't understand how you, how you stayed it in, how you stayed in for so long. What was, what was your secret? And I just think it would be great if we could help people feel so rooted in not needing to strive for our family's love or the divine's love or anything. And if that's around vocation, I think what a cool thing for us to be able to do, especially now in this time. This is the time to reinvent everything. I think pandemics do this. You know, you look at the history, thankfully this isn't as bad as the Black Death, but like you look at the history of anytime a big crisis event like this happens, the church has to change, society has to change, people have to change. They have to reorient their lives to whatever is gonna happen next. And I think this is, this is a good time to be thinking about these things. And this just happens to be our lane 
you know, I would, I would imagine there are a lot of podcasts popping up for doctors and a lot of podcasts that are popping up for all manner of professions that have, have had a unique strain in this particular time that are now thinking, how do I get out or what's next or what does it look like? And, you know, this just happens to be where we're at. And you know, what does it look that's like? so funny that you said that because I do a podcast with uh, one of our mutual, really close friends called Your Favorite Ants with Kevin Garcia. And Kevin was sharing with me, as well as some of our listeners were sharing that they listened to, uh, I think it's called Esther Pearl. I think that's her name, Esther Pearl. Mm-hmm. She's a therapist. And uh, they were just saying, oh, listening to her stuff is so cool. So you and I are like in these conversations, because we've been talking about this for like a month. Okay, what would this look mm-hmm. like? How do we do it? How do we do it that is offers things well? And so I was thinking through this stuff and then I popped in a podcast on one of my jogs and I was listening to her do therapy for a doctor and his wife and the doctor, like the only, ep- the very first episode that I listened to, the doctor is going, I don't want to be a doctor anymore after the pandemic, after what I've dealt with. Now there's guilt because everyone thinks I'm a hero and I'm leaving it. So I think you're right. Everyone is trying to figure out. We're also talking about a major shift, not just in church culture, but in the world, this gig economy. Nobody knows. I, I just paid so much money to an a, a accountant uh, just to figure out how do you account for all that you do when you are working in a gig economy? Yeah. And like having just one job that does all of it, that's safe quote unquote, or, or consistent or something you can, you feel like you can rely on is not, it just doesn't exist anymore. Like I have, right. I have been out of ministry for a few years now and I have had, you know, two jobs at two totally different companies and just because corporate restructuring and yeah, the way hiring works and it's, it's the world that we were prepared for just generally, even without this pandemic. The world that we were prepared for, that we went to school for, does not exist. Yeah. Or doesn't exist anymore. Maybe it never existed. So, I don't know that it did exist. Yeah. I think we, for me anyway, uh, graduate school, seminary, our professors, a lot of them, if they had been honest, got into being professors because they couldn't, they didn't want to be in the local church. Yep. Absolutely. Or they, or they, they, or, the they got, or they got kicked out because yeah, they had these crazy ideas. So now they're going to train us with these crazy ideas. Mm-hmm. And I remember feeling like this, this was the beaches of Normandy or something. And they're just like <laughs> sending us out and, right. you know, maybe a few of you will make it, you know, it was like that, but I remember it being that, that kind of feeling of y'all trained us for a world that does not really want us. Um, right. And will chew us up and spit us out. And I, I have so many ministry friends that, you know, yeah, we I'm in these groups and we talk like we, we were not prepared for the church boss that really runs the show or the, yeah, the fact that, you know, your congregation really just wants you, you know, do the song and dance some congregations and they don't really want you to actually beat them, but we were trained to do the opposite and, or there's the psychological pressure of, I can't even get a haircut without talking about my job it's like, mm. what, do you, what do you do i'm a pastor like oh okay but now this relationship has changed and oh gosh that's true i think it's the moment when you step into <laughs> my favorite one uh as we sort of think about this one of my favorite moments of the entire moment like everything changing i was on a plane i was flying i think 
the time I was dating a guy who lived somewhere else. And so flying to go see him. Cause that was kind of our deal. We, I lived on a plane at that point. Um, and I was flying to go see him and I was on this plane and all these young sailors got on there and they were in like, they're like sailors and they're clearly going to like their first big boot camp. I don't even know. And they had their backpacks with their names on it and they were young, you know, right. They're like, that's one of the things that was most shocking to me about aging is like, oh, we send babies. We send babies. Oh, babies. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, oh, just babies. So this kid sits next to me and I'm like working on something. And he looks at me. I think I was speaking at an event and I was going to see my boyfriend. It was like a twofer. It was great. I like had the event place pay for me to go see my boyfriend. It was wonderful. Yes. That's not true. I was the primary reason was I was going to speak at this thing, but I luckily figured out a way to go see the guy. So I'm like working on this thing. And this kid says to me, so what do you do? And I was like, oh, uh, I work at a church. And then he was like, well, what do you do at a church? I was like, oh, um, I'm the pastor. And he stands up and looks back to these kids. He goes, don't worry, guys, there's a nun on the plane. (laughs) And like 20 kids look at me and they're like, oh, cool. And I was like, I, what about me says none. I have a nose ring. I'm kind of cool dress. Like, how am I a nun? But I realized like for them, what they needed me to be and how often people kind of let us as pastors transform in for what they needed us to be. These kids were going to something scary. They needed me to be a nun. And so, and so for them, you were, I was a nun. When I got my hair cut one time, this person had some trauma around pastors they needed me to be a shit because every pastor they'd ever known was, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think the reality of it has both benefited us because it made a wall between us and other people that we need to admit we needed, or it's harmed us without even realizing, like without us even realizing it was harming us. And so we have to recover from that so that we're just baseline. Yeah. So that we've just become normal people in the world. I just want to be a human, which is, Eventually on an episode, we'll have to talk about the time I was being called and texted while I was in surgery. <laughs> and I just yelled, I just need to be a human. <laughs> yeah. I, like, yeah. For this time in this place, I just need to be a patient. Someone else take care of me. literally oh having a church fight. You're angry with one of our staff members and you think it is, I keep telling you, and you actually, like, I looked at one of these texts as I was walking into surgery and it said, I know you're having a, like, I know like you've got a surgery that you're having today, but, um, I, I really need us. Like once you're done, can you please give us a call? Cause we need to address these issues. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. But that, and that's not like, that's insane, but <laughs> that's, that's not uncommon No, for you, for people to know your schedule for one. And even mm-hmm. like, I, I've gotten so many of those texts, like, I know you're on vacation. I know you've got something important today. I know whatever. But my petty dispute really needs your attention right now. And, <laughs> and you're like, uh, um, yeah. And then, yeah. And then you just forget yourself. I just and- want to be a human. And I think that's, so when we talk about what's next, friends, our whole, our whole goal of this work that we're doing as we like think through is we're just trying to help you recover, <laughs> rev cover. Mm-hmm. So you can be a human. Yeah. And a human to a point where you can decide whether this thing is for you or not, where you don't feel like you're handcuffed to it, where you don't resent it because nobody needs someone who's resentful in the pulpit. The number of sermons I've heard that I'm like, oh shit, you actually just sort of seen a therapist is uncomfortable. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. (laughs) 
Yes. <laughs> yes. Like don't bleed all over everybody guys. It's time yes. for you to like, like maybe develop some scabs before you have this conversation Yeah, um, or a scar. Actually you're, you're preaching from a scab. You should be preaching from a scar. I think I'm hopeful and you can probably chime into that this work that we're doing here at least provides community for people who know that they want to experience life after a ministry that just feels like being a human. Yes, that, that, that is what I want. And I don't have preconceived notions of what a person should be afterwards. No. If a person leaves and wants to be a devout Christian still, great, great. As long as, If you're happy and mm-hmm. you are being a human, great. If you leave for 10 years and decide to go back uh, in a more healthy place, great. If you decide to leave because you're like, I have actually been an atheist for three years as a pastor. <laughs> and wow, great. As long as you're as long as you're working, doing the work and you are becoming a better human and you are able to move in the world in a way that is healthy. Like that is my ultimate goal for people is that we figure out how to reorient our position to this job that we had and Mm -hmm. make it something that we can grow from. And whether you go back, whether you stay, whether you go, your faith, like these to me are almost secondary questions once you figure out who you are as a person and as a human in this world and, and how you how you move in it. So we want to help you do some of the things to free up your mind to do that work. Like from how do I write a resume? It can literally paralyze you. How do I figure out how to make friends as adults? We're all asking that question, but the number of people I know who are in churches, because they're like, I don't even believe all this shit, but like, that's, I think where you make friends as adults. Mm -hmm. Um, We can talk about that, talking about figuring out how to not like deconstruct all over other people. Uh, cause that's the thing, you know, um, how to hold your own expectations of who you are. There's so much stuff we have got, like, we already have our first couple of seasons, like our first mm-hmm. season, at least all laid yep. out. But we just wanted to start by saying the now what that you're wondering, so many people are in this with you. Yeah. You, you are not alone and not knowing how to human is something that a lot of people are experiencing. We're just giving language to it. And, and it, it will take time. And the usual things that you used to discern your future, whatever that was, whether it was randomly opening a Bible or whatever, like those stop working at a certain point. And, yeah. and so how do you find those new things? And you know, we, we, we want to create a space to make a space, if you will. I love it. Yes, I will. I always will. To use my my good friend Sarah's language. <laughs> we want to make a space uh, yeah. for this for this work to, to happen. So we're with you. And we're so glad you checked out our first episode. I am excited, which is like, you know, my dad always says that we live in the excited states of America. But I really, truly am excited about this, which is a lot for a girl who was super burnt out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and for a guy that's wore off ministry and sometimes drags the church a lot, I, I also am very hopeful of whatever this next iteration of uh, religion and this, these new ministers or old ministers entering the workforce, whatever this thing is happening, I am actually very 
optimistic about it and excited about to see what's going to happen. And so, yeah, I think we have reason to be hopeful and we have reason to believe that, you know, there is life after uh, ministry. Mm. And also, we also recognize our own before we close out this episode, we recognize our own, like we only, both of us, you know, come, we're white bodied. We come from, you know, both of us in some ways, I come from mainline Protestantism. So we recognize that. And so we're also going to be having conversations with folks and we'd love to hear who you want to hear from. You know, I joke around that, like, (laughs) I may not have a lot of money, but I have a lot of people. So we've Mm -hmm. got a lineup of folks. We're already asking to come in and hop in and talk about certain things. So if there's someone you want to particularly hear from, we would be happy to reach out to them and see if they would love to share their perspective or something that was helpful. And we're just here to share ours. Absolutely. So thank you for tuning in and we welcome you on the journey with us. Yeah. Subscribe, like, follow along. Of course, this is part of Irreverent Media. Because that's where we had the idea. We were in an irreverent media yes, group we were. <laughs> meeting like, when we we're like, oh. <laughs> hey, what do you guys think of this? Oh, okay. And we're they all have our... loved it. And yeah, so I'm excited it. for us yeah. to do it. We'll have, yeah. I'm sure we'll have all of them on at some point. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, thank you all for listening. Thank you. And we'll see you. Bye. Bye. Friends, thank you so much for listening to our first episode of RevCovery. What you might have noticed is that this whole podcast and whole project started out of our own experiences and things that we had gone through. As Justin and I talked about kind of the things that helped us along the way, one of the things that both of us landed on was reading the writings of others. For both of us, poetry has been able to hit us in places and spaces that we didn't know how to give language to yet. So each week, if you want to stick around for the end, we'll always offer a poem that has meant something to us in this stage. So for this week, episode one, Now What?, I'm going to read to you one of my favorite poets, John O'Donohue's poem for a new beginning. In out-of-the-way places of the heart, where your thoughts never think to wander, this beginning has been quietly forming, waiting until you are ready to emerge. For a long time, it has watched your desire, feeling the emptiness growing inside you, noticing how you willed yourself on, still unable to leave what you had outgrown. It watched you play with the seduction of safety and the gray promises that sameness whispered, heard the waves of turmoil rise and relent, wondered, would you always live like this? Then the delight, when your courage kindled and out you stepped onto new ground, your eyes young again with energy and dream, a path of plenitude opening before you. Though your destination is not yet clear, you can trust the promise of this opening Unfurl yourself into the grace of beginning, that this at one with your life's desire. Awaken your spirit to adventure. Hold back nothing. Learn to find ease in risk. Soon you'll be home in a new rhythm, for your soul senses the world that awaits you. Friends, John O'Donohue has been such a helpful poet for me during this time, and I hope you found the same for yourself. Have a great week. Mm-hmm.